great to see you. Purpose Church, let's continue our summer series uh, from the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse, through uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, We call this series Flipped, because when Jesus steps into your life, he flips everything upside down, your values, your behaviors, the way we're supposed to respond to situations, and boy, is that true with what we're studying here today. When Jesus steps into a culture, into a society, he calls us to flip everything upside down and to live in a a countercultural, revolutionary way as we go through this study from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Today we come from the last few verses in Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 48. And so we're going to finish up Matthew chapter 5, but we still got chapter 6 and 7 for the remainder of the summer. Uh, Today we're going to look at how to handle conflict. And is this appropriate for this past year or what? We've just been surrounded uh, by conflict. And I know sometimes it can get discouraging. But let me encourage you that even small steps living according to the Sermon on the Mount Uh, the flipped lifestyle that Jesus calls us to, even little steps in the right direction, God can use and multiply in a tremendous way. Uh, Celeste Ng writes, it's easy to feel helpless, like you can't fight the tide. But remember, small actions can have a huge impact, and one person like you can inspire others to action. Uh, Florence Nightingale, who was the founder of the modern uh, nursing uh, movement and modern uh, profession of nursing uh, through her techniques developed during the Crimean War, war uh, she writes, I think one's feelings waste themselves in words. They ought all to be distilled into actions which bring about results. And then Nikki Gumbel writes, God did not make us solitary creatures. He made us with a capacity for friendship. He created us to have a loving relationship with him and with other people, but this is not always easy. There are some people with whom we naturally get on. Others can be more difficult. Uh, People can be rude, aggressive, or even hostile towards us. Sometimes this can even come from our own family and friends, leading to broken relationships and hurt and pain and grudges and misunderstandings. And then Arthur Blosch writes, friends may Come and go, but enemies accumulate over the course of your life. Now, some enemies are permanent, but others are just temporary. And remember, it's not a sin to have enemies. Uh, Jesus himself had enemies. He said in Luke 21, verse 17, everyone will hate you because of me. So he had enemies, and those that follow him will have enemies as well. Uh, Paul, Apostle Paul, had enemies. Wilbur Wilberforce, who was uh, the uh, leader of the movement against slavery in the British Empire, uh, he led the fight against that. He had enemies. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had enemies. Even Mother Teresa had enemies. There were people that were opposed to what she was doing. If you want to do anything for God, you're going to often arouse opposition. Just expect it. When you're in the middle of God's will for your life and you're doing what God wants you to do, sometimes you will have opposition, which will lead to enemies. So what's the right way to respond uh, to these enemies? Well, uh, the world's uh, way, the non-flipped response, is kind of summed up, I think, uh, the natural response is summed up by the Spanish conquistador and soldier, Panifilio de Naraverez. And when he lay dying in 1528, his confessor, a priest, asked him 
if he had forgiven all of his enemies as it commands in the Bible. Never has looked astonished and said, Father, I have no enemies. I have shot them all. That epitomizes the world's response, natural response, the non-flipped response to enemies. Uh, Father, I don't have any enemies to forgive. I've gone and shot them all. That's the natural response. But here's what Jesus steps in, flips everything upside down. Here's what Jesus said about enemies. Uh, Continuing now with the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard that it was said, okay, the, the old way of doing things, the natural way of doing things. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, remember, that's the trigger word for the flip series. Jesus says, this is the way it is. This is what's natural. This is what's non-flip. This is what's status quo. But I tell you, Jesus changes everything. He says, I tell you, love your enemies. First time this had ever been said in human history. First time ever anybody had ever said those three words, love your enemies and pray for those who who persecute you. Uh, He says that we are to love our enemies and to pray for those that persecute us. Uh, It's interesting that the first time love is mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first time love is mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. It applies to our enemies. (laughs) Is that crazy or what? First time Jesus mentions love. It's in reference not to our friends, not to our family, not to people like us, but to our enemies. Canon Paul Osterreicher writes, the man, and he's the man who founded Amnesty International, and he said that Amnesty International, this command of Jesus to love your enemies, that command of Jesus is what Amnesty International was founded on, and this is the founder. He said, this is unique to Jesus. Nobody up until Jesus had ever said it as explicitly as love your enemies. We're going to see some good ways to treat your enemies that we find in the Old Testament. But in all of human history, until Jesus, nobody said those three words, love your enemies. Uh, Back to Matthew 5, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. Now, this is another misinterpretation. Jesus often, as we've seen in the series, deals with people that are misapplying God's Word. And this is another misinterpretation. The Old Testament now did say, love your neighbor. Okay, it did say that. Here's an example. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Uh, So the Old Testament does say, love your neighbor. But the Old Testament never says to hate your enemy. The command to love your neighbor was misinterpreted by the people all the way up through until Jesus' time as being limited uh, to just other Jews. Remember Jesus did the parable of the Good Samaritan and he said, an answer to the question, well, who is your neighbor? And so the, the common misinterpretation was Love your neighbor only applied to fellow Jewish people, to those within the nation of Israel. And therefore, it was permissible and even right, correct, to hate uh, those who were outside of Israel, or at least to love less those that were not uh, of the nation of Israel. 
um, we found that teaching in what was called the Qumran uh, community. That was kind of a Jewish monastery sect around the time of Jesus when the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, were discovered. And one of the things that they found from this little um, monastic group of, of, of Jewish people that were living in kind of a monastery, isolated life there in the desert near the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, they had this same attitude that we're talking about. Uh, here's something from the Dead Sea Scrolls. That they, the members of the sect, that is the, the monast- monastic sect, uh, that uh, there were some of the writings there in Qumran um, of the Dead Sea Scrolls were writing from, that they may love all the sons of light. That is, everybody like me is a son of the light or daughter of the light, each according to his lot in God's design, and hate all the sons of darkness, each according to his guilt and God's vengeance. So here we see this in the Qumran uh, community, Uh, love the fellow sons of light, and the definition of sons of light is anybody like you, anybody that's a member of your tribe, your your in-group, your group of people, and to hate anybody that's the son or the daughter of darkness that is outside of your particular group of, of people. Now, there is nothing in the Old Testament that supports this attitude. Love your neighbor, yes, but not hate your a hate your enemy. As a matter of fact, quite to the contrary. Exodus uh, chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, verses 4 and 5. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. This is in the Old Testament. Next verse, verse 5. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. Also in the Old Testament, Proverbs 25, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Um, But no passage in the Old Testament goes as far as Jesus. It certainly doesn't say to hate your enemy. It says to love your neighbor. It certainly doesn't say to hate your enemy. And it actually has passages like this, that you should do good things to your enemy. But nobody in all of human history had ever gone as far as Jesus to say, love your enemies. We are to love our enemies regardless of race, color, creed, or background, regardless of what harm they may have done to us and how much revenge seems to be justified. Regardless of all those things, Jesus still said, love your enemies. Now, we're going to look at six practical ways that Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount that we're to love our enemies. Number one is to speak graciously. Now, the phrase, bless those who curse you, um, you may find it in in some Bibles like the King James translation uh, that were based on uh, not the most recent manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts uh, that we have found that go back to uh, further and and, and are closer to the the original. And so bless those who curse you is not in the earliest uh, copies of Matthew, but it was certainly part of Jesus' teaching. Clearly, it is there in the earliest manuscripts. In Luke 6, verse 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Now, this word bless here in the original Greek comes from the Greek word eulogio, uh, from which we get our word eulogy, like, like at a funeral. It means to bless a person, to speak well of, to praise or to extol. Now, think about that for just a minute. Bless those who curse you, Jesus said. That is, those that curse you, bless them, 
speak well of them, praise them, and extol uh, them. Uh, my goodness, what a radical thing uh, Jesus is asking us to do here. Uh, Proverbs 15, uh, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know how that is. There's that moment when you're having a conflict with, uh, with another person. It's that moment in marriage. It's that moment with your children. It's that moment with an associate at work. It's that moment when you have a bit of conflict. You could either respond to what they said with a gentle answer, and that will turn away wrath. That will de-escalate the situation. Speak graciously. Or you can use a harsh word, and that's just going to have a multiplier effect and, and, and stir up uh, the anger. But boy, it is tempting. Isn't it tempting when somebody says something uh, nasty to you uh, to do that harsh word? That is far more natural. This is supernatural. This is, is natural. Uh, uh, our daughter, uh, Kimberly and my, our daughter, uh, Abby, has been on the staffs of four different congressmen. And most recently, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, uh, during her time in Washington, D.C. And she says that the male, these congressmen, um, Dr. Carson was head of the HUD department, but the male they get is just absolutely unbelievable, especially the congressman uh, that, that she worked for uh, most recently as the chief of staff. She said, it is just unbelievable the male they get. And uh, this was a few years back, but one United States senator just couldn't take anymore. True story. And so he would reply, whenever he got a nasty letter, he would reply by returning the letter uh, to the person, to the sender, this nasty letter, with a note attached to the bottom which said, I just thought you'd like to know that some nutcase has been writing to me using your name and address. <laughs> okay, that, that's tempting, all right? Uh, but Jesus taught us, number one, to speak graciously. Then number two, uh, to respond kindly. Now again, there's that phrase, do good to those who hate you, um, is not in the earliest Greek manuscripts of Matthew. But it was definitely a part of Jesus' teaching. Uh, Luke 6, 27, for example. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good, respond kindly, do good to those who hate you. Romans 12, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him uh, something to drink, as Paul there uh, quotes that passage uh, from, uh, from Proverbs. Uh, there's a Chinese proverb that goes like this. Whoever opts for revenge should dig two graves. If you choose to go after revenge, dig a grave for the person you're getting revenge on and dig a grave for yourself as well because it's going to hurt you as much as it hurts them. Uh, I, I love this quote by Germany Kent. Uh, she writes, be kind. We never know what people are going through. You know, we, we never know what that person that has been harsh to us. We don't know what their life is like. We, we don't know what people are going through. Give grace and mercy. Because one day your circumstance could change. And you may need it uh, from them. Uh, Princess Diana wrote, Carry out a random act of kindness with no expectation of reward, safe in the knowledge that one day someone might do the same for you. Uh, I love the story of Abraham Lincoln. I just, I just love 
the leadership of Abraham Lincoln. And uh, his arch enemy, the guy that hated him the most, was a guy named Edwin Stanton. And, um, uh, and, and, and Lincoln just demonstrated how love is the way to transform an enemy like Stanton uh, into a friend. And so Edwin Stanton just hated Abraham Lincoln, devoted his life to making him look bad, um, even to the point of degrading Lincoln's per- physical appearance, and he would mock it and everything about Lincoln. Uh, he, Edwin Stanton was really the father of nasty social media. Um, and when Lincoln was elected president, he chose Edwin Stanton to be his secretary of war against everybody's advice. They just said, this guy hates you. Are you crazy? You're going to put him on your candidate as your secretary of war? But here's what Lincoln said. Stanton is the best man for the job, and we have got to win the Civil War. And so even though he hates me, and even though he's done all this wrong to me, uh, I still need him. The country needs him, and so I'm going to put my personal feelings aside. And he made him a member of his cabinet as Secretary of War. Well, when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, many people said beautiful things, but the one that's, that's been the strongest down through history, the, the most beautiful thing that was said was by Edwin Stanton. He said after Lincoln's assassination, he now belongs to the ages. And he went on to say that Lincoln was one of the greatest men who ever lived. The power of Lincoln's grace and kindness had transformed him from an enemy into a friend. And then number three, to pray positively. Uh, Moving on now to verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. You know, God's challenged me to do that, to, to people that are difficult for me and anybody in my life that's difficult, to make it a practice to pray for that person, to, to stand by his side in prayer and plead on his or her behalf to God. For if we pray for them, we are taking their distress and poverty, their guilt and perdition upon ourselves and pleading to God for them. You know, isn't this exactly what Jesus did on the cross? Uh, where he said in Luke 23, verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Hanging in agony on the cross, his enemies mocking him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And he calls on those of us that follow him to do the same. And then number four, act divinely. When we love our enemies, we are imitating God. I mean, he loved us when, when we were his enemies. Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? To return hate for love, that's demonic. To return love for love, that's human. But to return love for hate That is divine. That is when we are imitating uh, God. Uh, He says in verse 45, when we love our enemies, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Um, 
rain is a, a blessing that falls indiscriminately, uh, both on the, the good and the evil, on the righteous and the unrighteous, and so is the sun when it rises. And you know, in Southern California, I often say that because our geography is so similar to Israel, we understand certain things. I remember growing up in Virginia, where we have plenty of rain all the time. Uh, I didn't quite understand this verse as a young man because I'm like, hey, you know, all rain does is, is mess up a, a picnic. All rain does is cancel a sporting event. Rain, rain, is, rain is not a blessing. But when you're in Southern California, you appreciate, like a farmer did in Israel, that rain is a great blessing. And, 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 and Jesus says here that God's mercy, his blessings are, are indiscriminate. He causes the blessing of the sun to rise for both the evil and the good. And he sends the blessing of rain on both the righteous and on uh, the unrighteous. Uh, the sun, the rain, the beauty of creation. Uh, God's grace is available to everyone no matter what we've done. Jesus died for everyone. His mercy is available to everyone. And we should look at other people the same way that God uh, looks at us. I, I just love this quote by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He said, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, uh, if, we, if we really knew what it, they had been through in their life, the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each person's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. And I found that true. Have you found that true? That there'll be somebody you don't like, but then you find out what a hard life they've had. I mean, everybody's got something that's broken their heart, something they're worried about, something they're afraid of. Everybody's got something. And when we find out this about other people, uh, it, it, it disarms our hostility. We say, boy, I may not like that person. I may disagree. I may be on the other side of the fence from them. But you know what? They have been through some hard things, and it softens our heart. And then number five, live differently. Uh, continuing to verse 46 and 47, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others do not even pagans do that? Let's hold that up there for just a minute. That phrase, more than, the Greek word that is translated here as more than, it means that which is not usually encountered among men. That which is unusual, not usually encountered among men. It, it means flipped, the flipped lifestyle. And Jesus said that the natural, the status quo uh, is when you greet your own people, people that are like you, people that are similar to you. That's nothing. Everybody does that. Even those that are not following God does that. What are you doing more than others? Jesus calls us to a flipped lifestyle. He calls us to a more than lifestyle. He calls us to a countercultural, revolutionary lifestyle that loves even those that are different from us and even would be considered at times are our enemies. Uh, Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, 
But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That's the verse we looked at in Proverbs earlier. But then there's a verse that comes right after it. In doing this, you will reap burning coals on his head. You're like, okay, what, what, what is that about? Well, there's a quote from Proverbs 25, verse 22. And we believe from history, it possibly refers to an Egyptian ritual uh, where a guilty person would carry a basin of hot coals, burning, glowing coals on his or her head to show, to demonstrate that they had repented. And so what Jesus is saying here is that your kindness to your enemy, the Holy Spirit can use that to convict them, uh, cause them uh, to repent. Uh, there's a praise song we did years ago here at our, at our church, and I love it so much, and it went like this. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance, O God. It is God's kindness to us that leads us to repentance. And sometimes it's our kindness to other people that will lead them to uh, re repentance. Uh, at the end of Proverbs 25, verse 22, it says, and the Lord will re reward you. And so either you'll be rewarded by seeing that enemy turned into a friend, repenting because of your kindness to them, or even if they don't, even if your enemy doesn't repent, the Lord will still uh, reward you. You will receive God's reward for not taking revenge. This is what happened to Joseph when he didn't take revenge on his brothers who had sold him into slavery in Egypt. Genesis 50, verse 20 you intended to harm me, he says to his brothers, but God intended it for good. God worked it around for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And then number six, um, be perfect. Verse 48, Jesus says, be perfect therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that doesn't mean that we're gonna not sin and we're gonna be perfect this side of heaven. In heaven we will be, but not this side of heaven. Uh, that kind of perfection only comes, the, the moral perfection of standing in God's pre presence sinless, that only comes from receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior. We can't accomplish that on our own, and we will continue to struggle with sin and, uh, through, through the rest of our lives until we get to heaven. But that kind of perfection only comes from receiving Christ. And right now, you can do that wherever you are, there in your home or listening in your car or on your computer. You simply say three words, uh, three words. First of all, uh, they're ones your mom or dad or grandparents taught you growing up. Um, sorry, thanks, and please. Simply say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong in my life. Boy, just on this subject today alone, how many times have I responded in an unloving way when somebody has been harsh with me? I'm sorry. But thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven. You hung on that cross, looked at your enemies, including me. The Bible says that we were enemies of God. Our sin and our life made us enemies of God. Thank you as you hung on that cross. You looked at me and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So I'm sorry, thanks, and now please forgive me of my wrongdoing. Please come into my heart and be my Savior and please be my leader, my Lord. Show me the way to live that you've been teaching us here on the Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, now, the kind of perfect Jesus is talking about here, back to uh, verse 48, it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for perfect means having attained the intended purpose, complete, full-grown, mature, and fully developed. That is, we're to follow the example of Jesus. And God will give us the power to do this. Romans 5, verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, if you, if you pray that prayer, uh, sorry, thanks, please, and, and you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, God's love will be poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. God comes to live uh, within your life, within your heart, uh, who has been given to us. And God will give you the power uh, to live in a way that's, that's pleasing, that's, that's, that's uh, flipped, that's, that's different from other people, different than the world or the culture around us. Philippians 4.13, Paul writes, I can do all this. I can do this, not perfectly and not overnight, but in my life I can build the muscles of forgiving my enemy. I, I, I can do this. We can do this. How can we do it? Not in our own strength, but through him, Jesus, through Christ, who gives me the strength. Now, I often say that a picture is worth a thousand words. So I want to give you a picture of what this looks like, okay? Here's the picture of what it looks like. Uh, Monty Williams is a former NBA player. Uh, he's the coach of the uh, Phoenix Suns. He came to Phoenix and made history by leading his team to the NBA Finals this year uh, after they had missed the playoffs completely for 10 straight years. Nobody has ever done that before. Walked into a team, a team that had been out of the playoffs for 10 straight years and led them to the NBA Finals as they are uh, this weekend that we're in uh, right now. But a terrible tragedy ha happened to him and to his wife and family. On February 10th, 2016, a car swerved across the the center divider, and it hit his wife Ingrid's car head-on, uh, killing her instantly. And this left Coach Williams all by himself uh, to raise their five children without his wife of 26 years. And here is what Monty Williams said at his wife's funeral. I'm uh, thankful for uh, all that the, the people who showed up Today, uh, it's a pretty tough time, not just for me, but for all of you as well. And I'm, I'm mindful of that. Um, I'm thankful for my, my family. Uh, my children have been unbelievably um, resilient uh, this past week. Um, all of my relatives who've flown and drove and uh, many friends, uh, some people flew in for the day uh, just to spend a few hours with me and didn't even get that accomplished. Uh, but it's, it all uh, is well received by my family and especially me. The Bible says in Psalms 133.1, uh, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And I think that's what we've done. Uh, and that's what Ingrid would have wanted. Psalm 73.1 says God is good. And 1 John 4.16 says God is love. 
during times like this, it's easy to forget that because what we've gone through is pretty tough and it's hard and we want an answer. And we don't always get that answer when we want it. But we can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us. And that's what my wife and that's what I try to, um, however badly, <laughs> exhibit on a daily basis. But God does love us. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins. And I, for one, know that I'm not the man that you guys see every day. And only God could cover that. He loved me so much that he gave me a wife that loved every part of me. And she fit me perfectly. And I know different players that I've had over the years probably got tired of me talking about my wife. But I used to always think to myself, like, who else was I going to talk about? So <laughs> that never bothered me. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All of this will work out. As hard as this is for me and my family and for you, this will work out. I know this because I've seen this in my life. See, back in 1990, at the University of Notre Dame, I had a doctor look me in the face and say, you're going to die if you keep playing basketball. And I had testing done, test after test, shipping me all over the place to try to figure out a way for me to play. And it didn't work out. And I kept that from Ingrid. She knew I was having some tests done, but she didn't know the severity of the situation. So my career was over at the age of 18. And we had a press conference, and I left the press conference um, by myself, and I went to her dorm room, and I told her what happened. And the very next word out of her mouth, words out of her mouth after we um, probably cried a little bit, she said, honey, Jesus can heal your heart. And I'm evidence that God can work it out. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around you. Get outside of these walls, and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we don't have tough times, and we're going to have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now. I'm going to close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. <laughs> I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office, uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Um, Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you.